Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. This is the 15-Minute Lunch Break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. We're back with inspiration, empowerment, and motivation every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon on this 15-Minute Lunch Break. We trust and pray that what you hear encourages you throughout the rest of the week. I want to talk today from a simple thought. Just think. Don't lose your mind. We're in the midst right now of a great controversial commercial move by Nike. It's called the Just Do It campaign. And they just uh, decided to use uh, Colin Kaepernick as the headline uh, athlete for their new 25th or 30th year anniversary. I'm not sure exactly what it stands for, but I know it's a campaign that Nike is using and they've decided to use Colin Kaepernick uh, and some other stars, Serena Williams, among others, to um, facilitate the brand of Nike. Just do it. I want to talk about just think. If there's ever been a simpler maxim uttered concerning the goodness of God in our time and age and in the context of our worship experience, I don't know it. And that simply is when I think about his goodness. This proverb, this chant is so familiar to us, especially in the charismatic movement of churches today, that it can be ranked among the most used of preaching cliches that they are. When the preacher says, when I think about the goodness of Jesus, And he or she may even add for the resultant effect, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. The reaction of the believing congregation can almost be predicted. There will be loud and boisterous yells and cries of the highest praise, hallelujah. Someone may run into the aisle and begin to leap or run. Others just hold their heads back and lift their hands and arms high as tears of jubilation stream down their cheeks as thoughts run across their minds about how good God has been to them. Sometimes all that we need to make it through a challenging episode in our lives is to stop in the midst of what we're going through, be it painful, disappointing, hurtful, discouraging, or expected, and think. One of the dangers of crisis is that we can lose our minds in it. Sometimes the answers that we're looking for, the relief that we seek, in the midst of a crisis is completely within our reach, but we allow the distracting elements of the crisis to confound our once sound minds. I like to take a point of reference right here and clarify my argument with an illustration. The Bible relates to us the story in the 14th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, where this issue of a crisis knocking us off our mental keel is described. In most Bibles, this account is subtitled Peter Walks on Water. 
The disciples have been constrained just a few verses earlier by Jesus to get into a boat and to sail to the other side of the water. As they sailed to the other side in obedience to Jesus, they came upon what seemed to be a storm gathering in the midst of the water. This storm seemed to impose itself right in the path that they had chosen in obedience as they sought to make their way to the other side of the water. The Bible says that the ship began to be tossed with the waves and the wind was contrary. The wind wasn't cooperating with them. It was actually pushing against their progress. And all of this was happening as Jesus watched. Jesus had ordered them to get on the boat to make their way to the other side forthwith, and they had followed his orders. But in following his orders, they found themselves in the midst of a storm. And Jesus, even though he saw that they were struggling to follow his orders, he still didn't immediately intervene. The Bible says that finally, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the water. Jesus waited until early in the morning, after they had labored on the waters all night, and he walks out on the sea to reach them. The Bible says that it was as at this point that the disciples see him walking on the water and are troubled, believing that Jesus is some sort of ghost or spirit. However, Jesus belays their fears and announces, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. And now we get to the point that I intentionally set out to make. Peter boldly asserts himself and asks Jesus, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus responds accordingly, and Peter steps down from the boat and begins to walk on the water. I need you to remember the waves were tossing and the wind was still boisterous. The storm was still at its height, and Peter stepped out on the word of Jesus, and he was able to walk where? On the water. With a sound mind, Peter steps out on Jesus' come, and he does what is supposed to be impossible. His spiritual mind says, if it is Jesus, trust him enough to step out and believe him for a miracle. But in the midst of the miracle, Peter begins to be distracted by what was always there. The boisterous winds were always there. The choppy waves were always there. And through it, Peter had sound enough mind to test his faith. But then he began to look at the wind. And at that moment, fear was injected into the miracle experience that he began to sink. In the midst of the crisis, Peter loses his spiritual mind and fear overtakes his once potent faith. But nevertheless, his answer, his help was at arm's length. It was in the one who beckoned him in the first place. So Peter cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And they walked back to the ship together. Peter lost his mind in the crisis, but he didn't lose his cry. And the help that he needed came immediately. How many of you have ever lost your mind in the midst of a crisis? You went into that relationship with a clear mind, but somewhere in the middle, you find yourself wondering, where you ran off the track. What was it that you missed or that you overlooked or that you discounted as an insignificant faux pas, but then it turned out to be a nightmare? There are so many strong-willed people that I'm friends with who readily recount horror stories of relationships that they thought couldn't be better. They dotted all the I's, they crossed all the T's, they did the background checks, they even did a credit check and all of the, his boasting about the things that he possessed checked out. But now they're in a relationship with a possessive, ego-driven maniac who's suspicious of their every move. And now they're sitting around depressed and despondent because they've realized that somewhere along the way they stopped thinking and were now trapped in the facade of a relationship. I want to encourage you to never stop thinking. It was at the lowest times of David's sojourn in both the literal and the figurative wilderness that David retreated to his thoughts. He found solace in his thoughts. You've got to find solace in your thoughts. 
He thought about the graciousness of God to even consider him to be king. When even in his house, there were seven others that would have easily fit the people's bill as qualified for kingship. How many of you listening to this show can think about the ways that God was gracious to you? Gracious enough to choose you when those closest to you didn't see anything in you worth choosing. Not only when David was low emotionally, but also at times when David needed to conjure up courage, faith and strength to face a challenge. He again thought about the goodness of God. He thought about the times in his past that God had come through miraculously and he weighed those earlier miracles against his present circumstances and he was able to easily gather the needed strength and encouragement to go out and do exploits. In 1 Samuel 17, David fearlessly slew the Philistine giant Goliath. But before he ever engaged the giant to the awesome astonishment of the Israelite army and their ruler, King Saul, David went back in his mind to the time before when God showed up in his life and gave him victory over a larger and even more threatening enemy than himself. And this was all that David needed to muster the audacity to run towards the giant. When I think about the goodness of Jesus, the thought, the possibilities that this thought creates in us, it's not just for contemplation or meditation, but it is for us to take action. When we think about the last time we found ourselves in a quandary and God showed up, it shouldn't just make us smile or even just dance. We ought to take action, trusting that if he did it before, He's going to do it again. The enemy of our souls would love for us to just get happy about what Jesus did in the past, just so long as we don't do anything in our now to see him show up again. According to the website allaboutpsychology.com, the human mind thinks much faster than the mouth talks. According to studies by the Pennsylvania State University Psychology Department, the mind thinks at approximately four times the rate at which the average person speaks. In that same study, the average person's speech was measured at 125 to 169 words per minute. In the academic field of psychology, the study of thinking is known as the theory of mind. It is the, literally the study of an explanation of how the brain thinks about thoughts. And according to this theory, our minds and brains have among their most astonishing capacities the ability to see behind people's physical actions to the internal causes, thoughts, and intentions. Look at the power of our minds. And look even closer at the power of our thoughts. Consider how powerfully God has equipped us to discern the thoughts and machinations of men. And now consider that God makes clear his thoughts towards us. And we can rest in the assurance that we don't even have to engage our most remarkable brain capacities to figure them out. He tells us in Jeremiah 29 and 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and the hope. David in the 84th Psalm opens with a thought about how lovely, amiable, pleasing was the place where God dwelt. King David was in a temporary exile when it's believed that he penned these words. His son Absalom had made a strong push to be the king and in a sweeping attempt at a coup d'etat sought to dethrone his father. David, not wanting to physically engage his own son, decided to make a retreat and to leave the city that bore his name. Absalom considered himself the heir to the throne. His older brother Amnon was dead and he was, according to tradition, the next in line of succession. David, however, had prophetically informed that his young son, Solomon, son of Bathsheba, would succeed him. Absalom secretly plotted to thwart David's plans of making Solomon his successor. And he gathered unto himself 200 unsuspecting followers, among which were Ahithophel, the Gilonite, and one of David's wise counselors and trusted confidants, giving Absalom's revolt some credibility among the people. 
And it was at Hebron that Absalom declared himself king while David was still in position. The whole event hurt and disappointed David, and he took his whole household and fled from his beloved city of Jerusalem. David fled with his household, his servants, and with his most devoted followers, and even 600 men of Gath, under the leadership of their chief Ittai, insisted upon accompanying him. They left Jerusalem and traveled over the brook Kidron, and they took the road that led to the wilderness. It was at this point that they met up with Zadok and Abiathar, the two priests, and some Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant. However, it was here that David makes a philosophical decision to refuse to let the ark accompany him in his uncertain journey. How many of us would have been like David and said no to the certain safety, privilege, and benefit of having the ark in our midst? Most of us wouldn't have thought twice about it. We would have gladly taken the ark with us, but David refused. Maybe it was the memory of what had happened when he had first sought to rescue the ark from the possession of the Philistines and Uzzah. The son of Abinadab died when he reached out and used his hand to prevent the ark from falling off the cart, driven by oxen upon which it rolled. We may not know the exact reasoning behind David's action, but however, we do know that he reverenced the presence of God. David was deeply conflicted. He was under attack. A revolution had been launched against his kingship, but it wasn't by his usual enemies. It was an attack from within his own house, his own son, Absalom. If it had been a different kind of enemy, David would have swiftly dealt with them. But this was too close to home and he chose to flee to the wilderness. He eventually had to flee even from the forest of the wilderness and cross over to the other side to escape the attacking Absalom and his forces. David had to make a number of tough choices. He had to flee to safety, security and comfort at the palace. He had to make the decision to leave the Ark of the Covenant behind. And then he had to make the decision to flee even from the forward in the wilderness. Each of these hard decisions had the potential to send David into a psychological tailspin. However, he chose to fix his mind on the Lord. He chose to think. He chose to think about the goodness of the Lord. David couldn't retreat to the temple while on the run, but at least he could retreat in his mind to the memories of how God moved in the past and made ways for him out of what appeared to be inconceivable ways out. He reminded himself of the days before he was anointed king. When the spirit of God enabled him to fight off a lion and a bear that were praying on the sheep that David was charged to watch. He thought of a time when God empowered him to behead a giant, even as a young boy. He remembered, he remembered how it felt to enter into the temple and worship and the joy expressed in worship by all in attendance. What are the things that come to your mind when you think about the goodness of the Lord? Is your devotion as intimate as David's? Can you begin to dig wells of refreshing just through your thoughts? That's what David was doing. This is a 15 minute lunch break. I encourage you dig wells of refreshing just through thoughts of how God did it before. This is a 15 minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. God bless. Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. 
Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network.